Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Van Santos, President and CEO of Indara Cybersecurity, Inc., Indara is a company specializing in phishing prevention to address the risks of cyber intrusions. With more than 25 years of IT experience, he remains a leading expert on information security, realizing the risks imposed by click-and-go conveniences. I've asked him to join us today and share with us how we can protect ourselves in this new technological world. So, Van, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. We have a lot of people who are very concerned if their customer databases or their information or their bank account information or who knows what is exposed or fished or hacked or all that. So I appreciate you coming to share your knowledge with us today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing I'm doing very well. I appreciate you having me. I, I'm very excited about this. Right. Well, you know, and it might not sound like a sexy topic, but at the same time, it's a really important topic, and it is kind of sexy if you've ever had any sort of issues, if you've ever been hacked, if you've ever had anybody solicit your information. I get emails like that all the time, the phishing emails. I get them all the time. I got one recent – I got one this last week like it was from an officer, but when you look at the email, it was like XYB147 at – you know, xyb.com. And I'm like, hmm, that's a little suspicious. I don't think the police department would be emailing me about a speeding ticket from that kind of an email address. So you're absolutely right. It, it, it's not a sexy topic. The funny thing is it's pervasive in our everyday lives and people don't necessarily realize it. And congratulations on not falling for the phishing scam. Yeah, I've actually had to train a couple of assistants because they've been like, Daryl, oh my gosh, you have to check this out. I'm like, mm. they're like, Daryl, your bank has emailed you because I get like a couple hundred emails a day. And I'm like, mm. I don't think, and that's that's the, the first telltale for me is check the, and, and we can go into the specifics later, but I always check who the email, not the name, but the email it's coming from. And I the link, I never click the link in the email. I always copy and paste the link elsewhere if I can and take a look at the link like that they're trying to get me to click and be like, where is this going? Because, you know, the email might – anybody can get an email from a company and copy and paste it over and then, you know, do whatever they need to do and put their malicious whatever, right? And they just want to know that you're real so they can do whatever they want to do to you. And there, I feel bad. There's, like, old ladies that get scammed that, like, have their life savings taken away and just a lot of different things out there. But before we get into all that, how did you get into this? What were you doing before you got – I mean, 25 years is a long time, but how did you get into battling the cyber bullies? So my background is basically all technology. Started programming way back in 1995, and it just followed for me a very logical path. I got tired of programming. I just got bored. I don't. Ha I have the analytical mind to do programming. I don't have the attention span to do programming. So I said, "Hey, let's go to the business side of IT." And when I went to the business side, I started to see so many other opportunities 
within IT that I would not have seen just as a programmer or someone who's managing programming. Hmm. And it, one thing led to another. The business side led to audit. Audit led to security and information security, data assurance, data security. Hmm. And that's, that's the, the path. And when I landed there, it became a passion. Hmm. My, my, my passion is helping people in general, but combining that together, it became a passion for me. Hmm. Got it. So, and it's a really valid passion. It's something that it's kind of like online warfare in a lot of ways. Like it's people are hacking. I mean, there's recent, the recent election, people think Russia hacked, which I heard that one of the things you can do to protect your site from a lot of stuff is shut off traffic from Russia. (laughs) Well, it's funny. A lot of, so the election aside, a lot of hackers and hacking events do come out of Eastern Europe and do come out of China. Hmm. And it's it's just it's just the way that the internet is today without regulations in some spots from a from a government internal to their country, it allows it to happen. Hmm. Hmm. And those hmm. are two of the biggest spots. Hmm. So what have been some of your challenges that you've had to overcome in this? I mean, we've come a long way. I mean, twenty five years, the internet has changed radically. Oh my gosh. So what have been some of the biggest obstacles or biggest developments you've seen in your career? Some of the biggest obstacles that you're right. It is a, it is a long way. I'll tell you that probably my biggest obstacle in my career was I lost, I lost my passion. Mm. Mm. And that happened probably about 10 years ago. Okay. And the reason I lost my passion was probably if I look at it and I'm very honest about it, due to three factors that I did not react to. One was career, two was personal growth, and then three, it was kind of a spiritual growth. And I was neglecting all of those three things. I found myself in a position where I I was lost professionally and I was lost personally. So I, I, I began to struggle. Hmm. And what it, it uh, I'll be honest, at, at first it was it was a very, very difficult time period because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know what I what I wanted to do for myself personally as well as professionally. Hmm. But I overcame that really through personal spiritual development. And hmm. I, I don't say spiritual in, in a religious sense. Right. But in, in the terms of spiritual, so meditation, mindfulness, hmm. not hanging on to the past in terms of allowing it to guide my future. Hmm. 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 And so that, that, that was really how I overcame the, the, the biggest challenge. There are obviously other challenges from a career path perspective, but just a challenge for me. Struggle was me. Hmm. Hmm. That's such a. It's so well put. And often, you know, it's funny that often, in in any time I've worked with a client or in any type of business, and even in my own life, it always comes down to that. Like the owner is always the bottleneck, or you are always in the way. And you know, if you fixed yourself, you could fix the problem. You know, you can't fix other people, but if you could take care of yourself, you make sure there's one less scoundrel in the world. And and that is, you're you're exactly right. It's 
It's about taking care of you and taking you out of the equation for, for being potential roadblocks. Hmm. And what I also think is what you, you kind of alluded to, to something else. And that is also the founder syndrome. And that is, you know, when someone is a founder of a company or, or is deeply rooted in the company, if they're not balanced personally, they're going to not want to let go of aspects of the business. They're not going to want to ensure that, or excuse me, they're not going to want to allow other people to make decisions for them. They're going to want to ensure that it's all with them. But I've seen when you get past that, when you get past the issues internally, it, it frees up the, the, the confidence to allow people to do what you would be doing. So yeah, I, I've seen that as well. So now in terms of data security and even just, again, online, online digital warfare, how have you seen things develop over 25 years? You know, that is a very interesting question. And I'm probably not going to give you the same answer that most people would. I remember the days of the internet when it was, it was, for lack of better terms, lawless. You can get away with anything. Over the years, obviously, the government started to place regulations, laws in place to protect people. Um, but that hasn't stopped that hasn't stopped the attacks. And the majority of attacks right now in the United States are coming from outside of the United States. I think it's pretty fair to say. Mm-hmm. The, the, the things that I've seen are, even though laws have been put in place, they're rarely used. The number of attacks, the frequency of the attacks, and the severity of the attacks continue to get worse and worse every year. Mm. And here's why I say that it, it, my answer is probably not the same as everyone else's. Companies and people neglect their security. Ooh, yes, they do. And I mean... <laughs> So well, I'm going to break this down into two groups. Let's do companies first. Up until probably 10 years ago, the majority of companies in the United States did not even have an information security, cybersecurity program. Uh-huh. Today, you're looking at you know, Fortune 50 companies, companies that are, are pulling $50, $60 billion in revenue, and their cybersecurity programs... Uh, $10 million, maybe, that they're dedicating to it in some cases. And, you know, when I take it a step further, when it comes to security awareness within the company, some companies only budget fifty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 for training. And then it's not even a specific department as it is spread up amongst people. So they're not giving the attention. They, they're starting to wake up to it. And a number of companies are much better than others, but as a whole, companies are not, are not giving it the attention that it really deserves. Now, people, on the other hand, people are completely oblivious to it, completely. Think about how many people you know that have access to uh, other people's passwords or bank pins or 
personal information along those lines. And people are people are the biggest targets, and they they just don't pay attention to it, which is a shame because at one point or another, someone, everyone, I, I firmly believe that everyone at one point or another is going to be affected by some kind of cybersecurity issue. If you are on the internet, if you have a phone, at some point it's going to bite you. Mm, mm, that's really important to know of. And in fact, I already know someone, there's a, a gym that I actually, I, I moved cities, but I'm, everyone here knows I'm big on CrossFit, CrossFit gym that I used to go to. And the owner, he had his whole Facebook, they had to change, they built a Facebook community of like thousand people. And this is like real people that came through their gym. And then he had to abandon it because his Facebook account got hacked and he, there was no way for him to recover it. And that person was doing heinous things in the group and all sorts of stuff. And they had to try to like, they just had to restart a group. But for the business, like for them, that was the only list that they had to communicate with their members. Like they didn't have, they didn't keep and use email lists. They probably had people's emails, but I don't really remember getting any emails from them. Like that's, that's it. Like the time that I know there and everyone else I talked to, like it was, it was Facebook was their main communication channel and like wiped out. And so now they've got to rebuild it all. And you know, they already have, they've got a, a good business, successful business. They put a lot of systems into place. They're doing great great guys but that really hurts you know that really hurts those are your past customers your leads i mean that sort of stuff you know what i mean like all the potential people that they were already talking to like all of a sudden now they're back to square one like uh, okay we got to get on the phone and start calling some of these people and you know all that that like farm that you know what i mean like those seeds that you planted and gone. and what you what you've described happens every day and even though that is a small thing in comparison to I just had my entire bank account wiped out. It's still cybercrime and it impacts your bottom line and it makes you start over. So I, I, it, it's a wide spectrum of potential attacks and people are oblivious to it. The general population is oblivious to it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, as far as bank accounts, bank. I just want to say this to everyone here. I, I had to learn the hard way. Your bank account is not safe. M keeping money in your bank, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm and I don't maybe I should should or shouldn't be saying this publicly, but I'm I'm a, I love I like cash. Like I mean, sure, invest in things and do that, but I I am afraid of leaving money in bank accounts. I've already had experiences. I do not leave anytime a certain my bank account gets above a certain amount. It's it's taken out. It's not left there. And even then, like I've I'm just I'm not like you might call me OCD to a certain extent just in how protective I am in that thing because I've been bitten once before. It wasn't phishing. It was actually tax in the government. But it was they, 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 were, they were calling an old phone number for the business that didn't even exist. If they had just Googled the business and found our new phone number and reached out, they would have gotten me and it would have all been resolved. And it was an issue that just was a huge headache. It was a huge headache. And in the end, they owed me money. At the end of it all, they owed me money, but they took four or five months to pay it back. But it was overnight that they all of a sudden took it. And then when I started doing the research, it's not hard for someone to pull money out of your bank account. If they just convince the bank manager, they go in and seem professional and they show some ID and, you know, that you can print out at home and laminate and then go in. Like they just, boom, here you go. Here's here's $10,000. See you later from this person's bank. Like it's just crazy. It's it's really and, and you're you're absolutely right. I I completely agree with you that you need to be very very careful with your assets as well. And it is so. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about from from the last section is social engineering. Someone can print out stuff, 
pose as you or pose as as an official and get away with it. And that social engineering is also a part of cybersecurity because it happens every day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you get the we talk about emails being. You get an email from your bank. Supposedly, you click the link. You end up on your bank's website. You put in your info. You log in, but you didn't know that that was being monitored. And now you just gave the bad guys your login yep. info. And guess what? They're going to log in. They're gonna, there's there's no sign of break and enter. There's no hacking. They just use your your login info, your password. Go to your bank and send themselves. Yeah, some all money, of a sudden, start buying things. That yeah, they all of a sudden, all of the money that you had is in Qual and Poor, and you're like, how did that happen? Nothing against yeah. Qual and Poor. I'm just saying. No, 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 no. Of course, of course, of course. It's funny because I actually just did an interview with a lady out of Singapore, and that's where she was. I was like, how are you doing? She's like, oh, good. I just came back from – and I didn't try to repeat it, but I was like, oh, wow. And then you're talking okay. – <laughs> but anyways, I digress. So, okay, so what do you recommend to people? If there's someone that's got a business and they're struggling and maybe don't have a bunch of resources to dedicate to have – hire someone and build a team, all that sort of stuff – Sorry, it's my dog. She's super happy. It was her birthday yesterday. But anyways, what would you recommend to someone that is, you know, struggling and, and concerned or either even potentially going through something like this now? So the most basic thing is, A, make sure that your systems are always up to date. That's number one. Number two, make sure that you have a reliable antivirus software installed on your computer. Because you would be surprised. Even if it's Mac? I'm sorry? Even if it's Even Apple? Even if it's Apple. Macs are just as susceptible as PCs. PCs mm. get the majority of viruses because they have a larger user base. But they're mm. just as susceptible. So mm. anything, those are the two most basic things that anyone could do, and it's really not going to cost them a lot of money. Outside of that, it's, being aware of what you're doing, like you said, look at the email address. If all of a sudden, you know, you're getting an email from your father and it's coming from a Mexican email address, so or a domain mm-hmm. in Mexico, I should say, you you probably know it's mm-hmm. not going to be him. So it, it's just being vigilant. It really, really is. And I so when we wrote our our software to do our testing, uh, our phishing prevention testing. We were doing the testing of the software on our family members and friends that we know mm. and stuff like that, <laughs> and they would still fall for it. So it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's amazing even how much people will just click, go, what, do things that they shouldn't do just because they trust, quote unquote, the source. So it really is taking time to just be vigilant. Those are the three things that I would say. Mm. So let's recap on those. So one is make sure everything's updated. Make sure everything's updated. You get all the software updates on things. They're there to protect you, right? The second one was – why am I drawing a blank? Antivirus right? software. really terrible. That was it. Because I was like, I, that's. I was like, I don't think that exists for Mac, but I think you do. You just buy and buy some, not the free stuff. You got to buy. You got to pay for I, it. I would personally, I would pay for it. There are probably some really good free options. Paying for it, however, ensures that those virus definitions, whenever something comes out, is going to be included. I, I've, I've never used a free one, so I can't specifically speak to it. But I, I would venture a guess there probably are some good services out there. Now, can you speak to something that I don't know if this is something other people have thought, but 
Is it not in a virus company's an antivirus software's interest to put viruses on your computer so you have to use their software to get it off? Like I've always thought like sometimes isn't using the free antivirus software making yourself a mark? Like aren't you now a target because you're in their base? I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe that's just totally conspiracy theory-esque. But I've always felt that way, and I've, I don't know why. That's actually part of why I don't have one. Even I would use like free online tools that you would go to the website and it would scan your computer and leave, but I never wanted to download something onto my computer so, when I did have PC. So to your point, that's another reason why I only will use something that I've paid for because I trust it at that point. It's, a going, it's going to be a big name, and it's not – if they were to – do something like you suggested um, that I would assume is a lawsuit in the making. Uh, free ones, however, you know, I, I, I could see a scenario where something like that would happen. I think that it would ruin their credibility instantly and put them out of business if they were discovered. Um, but I could see where that scenario would take place. So that's why I gravitate toward well towards well-respected names, and and I have no problem paying for it if if the service and the quality is there. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so that addresses that. So keep everything updated, get a good antivirus software, and be vigilant. Now, what is it? be vigilant in not just clicking things? I mean, do we have to be paranoid? There's a great quote. What was it? Just because you're not, just because you're, was it? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you that was it just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out that's kind of like that's <laughs> that's kind of like my my one of my quotes of just because i'm crazy doesn't mean i'm wrong right yeah exactly just because i'm crazy doesn't mean i'm wrong <laughs> yeah frankly yes be paranoid i know that sounds i know that sounds extreme but you really really need to be paranoid about your about your cybersecurity safety because if you think about it on a grander picture, it's really your privacy. And if you're willing to give away your privacy, okay, great, have fun with that. But I, I want to be, I want to protect my privacy. I want to protect my information as much as I possibly can, because ultimately that's all that we have left. So it is, it's being paranoid, making sure that if something seems wrong, investigate it as much as possible. Like you said, don't click on random links. If you can copy and paste it and look at it, do that. Make sure you look at the names. Are the names even spelled right? Are, are the emails that you're getting from sources that you trust and know? It, it, it really is being paranoid. And I'm okay with saying that because the ultimate risk is having everything you, you have wiped away. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. okay, I, I will be paranoid about that. I'm, I'm fine with saying that. And if you think about it this way, most people do not back up their computers. Okay. You get, like, for example, the WannaCry virus from two weeks ago. I guess it was a warm. If you get that, all of your data, gone. Everything. Hmm. All of your pictures, maybe your taxes. So it's called WannaCry? The WannaCry? WannaCry was, so if you... I don't know. No, no, just is that the name? Yeah. Want to cry? W A N N A. <laughs> want to cry? Oh, want to want to cry? Yep. Okay, you want to want? All my data's gone. That's and that's funny. exactly that's, that's exactly name. what uh, two hundred thousand people probably did. Wow. So wow, two hundred 
200,000 people. Exactly. What's the purpose? What's the benefit of that? Like, all right, you created something that's like interrupted 200,000 people's lives have now been like, I know it's just technology and it's just like really at the end of the day, you still have your health, you still have your relative, you know, you still have all these wonderful things, but I mean, it's a huge interruption to your life. Like, what's the benefit? Is there not a benefit? So I have my hypothesis. The person that does it. Okay. So obviously the people behind that worm were trying to get money. Mm. However, I think that they did not expect it to grow as quickly and as wide as they did. The reason I say that is they wanted to get the ransom money, quote unquote, to unlock the computers via Bitcoin. And I, do you are you familiar with Bitcoin? I know I know what Bitcoin is. I I don't know why it's I I, I just I don't know my confidence in it as a currency is not there, but I I know that it's an online currency that people, some people think will be the future of our of all the world's currencies. Okay. And that that's 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 a fairly accurate description. One of the things that and and for your listening audience, one of the things that people say about Bitcoin is that it is not traceable, which is not true. With plenty of time, you can track where all of those Bitcoins went over, over the life of that coin. So I think the hackers, they only were targeting a small group. It got out of control, and all of a sudden, now 200,000 people are infected. So ultimately, their motivation was money. And I think it just I think it exploded beyond anyone's expectations. Mm-mm-mm. So I, I'm sorry, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but the question I, that was one because it just came up because I'm like, like what a waste. It's like when people get into illegal businesses. Like, why don't you put that energy into something that's not going to put you in jail, not going to kill people, not going to destroy communities? Like, why, why, why not? Like, why? I, I know, like, guns and drugs and, and all that stuff. Like, I just don't get that. Like, you, same energy, same focus, same skill set, even just put into something productive, but people don't, some people aren't that farsighted. So that was just something that was like a natural, like almost internally angry question. But the real question I want to ask is what about with businesses? Like, is there a process that they should go through when they off board, like when they off board a staff or member or employee or even on board? Like what, how should businesses handle that? Is there? So onboarding and offboarding. Every company needs to have a process for both of those events. Onboarding you need to make sure that that company has a training process in place for the new individual. So that new individual becomes comfortable and familiar with all of your IT and cybersecurity policies that are pertinent to protecting the company. And then you need to test them on it to make sure that they learned it and that they're going to apply it. And that testing probably should happen both at onboarding and then probably annually. Offboarding, in, so when someone leaves either voluntarily or otherwise, the second that they leave, all access needs to be turned off. All. I would, I would even advocate, especially in situations where it's a non-voluntary or hostile situation, that the second that it becomes known that there's an issue, say a, an employee is suspended, all of their account access is removed until it is completely 
resolves to the point where the company feels safe. Because what you have is you have someone leaving a company. Let's say, for example, someone was within an organization for 30 years. It was their career. They literally don't know anywhere else how life is outside of that company. They Mm -hmm. get let go after 30 years. You right there have a potential risk for someone to steal information, corrupt information, delete information. And, and, And the company does not want that. So the second that you run into a situation where it's either someone hostile or just someone leaving, that access needs to be cut off. And you need to get all of their devices back. Laptop, if, they, if the company gave them a cell phone, that cell phone, a tablet or a, an iPad, whatever, all needs to come back. So there needs to be a process in place for that. Hmm. Okay. So off, right. So all access taken away immediately, all devices turned off because you don't know and they could have the best intentions or not. And, and the other part is that it could sit there for even a year, two years, and they might just be curious one day and be like, I wonder if I can still access blank or log in. And then they're like, or there's another situation where they leave good people don't even think about it. They're gone. Okay, great. I'm moving on to my next phase in life. They then go and sell the device that they had to the, the organization didn't take it back. Sell it on eBay. Now, next thing you know, someone else has potential access to that information. Mm, mm. In some industries, that's a big, that's a big, big no-no. That can crush your business. Yes, it can. Got it. So, what are the biggest threats to a business? Then, is it online attacks? Is it employee disgruntled employee or employee negligence? Is it what? What are the what are the three like three or five biggest concerns for a business? Surprisingly, the biggest the evidence that I've seen repeatedly is that the biggest threat is actually employees. And that is a wide range of, of things, but it comes both to negligence as well as people that are just hostile to, to the company. Mm. The second is, and the second is very close, is phishing. And, and mm. it's, it's just people randomly clicking on links. You would be surprised how many clients that I've worked with, how many people that I've talked to that just click and click, and click. And the answer that I get back after speaking to them, well, why did you do it? I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's phishing is a huge one, which turns into you know the potential for, for viruses, potential for information being stolen. And then the third thing that I would say that is really, it's starting to come back, is social engineering. Like we discussed before, someone pretending to be someone that they're not, calling up the help desk saying, hey, here's my user account. I lost, I lost my password. Could you send it to me or whatever? Someone trying to gain access just by impersonating mm. someone else. Now, that third one, that third one is, is starting to make a comeback. It's not nearly as prevalent as the first two. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, I hope I hope it doesn't come back because so many times I like call my cell phone company, my credit card company. I feel like they ask honestly, and I hope someone's listening. You guys ask the dumbest security questions ever. Like, what's the address? Like, oh, well, if they stole my wallet, they probably know my address. Like, just like, what's the three digits on the back of the card? Well, if they stole my card, they probably know the three digits on the back. Like, it's 
the, uh, I get frustrated sometimes because I'm like, how does that – like I think you just wasted 30 seconds of my life by asking me that question. Like how does that do anything like other than maybe frighten someone off if they're trying to call in and think – like it's just – anyways, I'm, I'm sorry. That was a rant. But it's a common thing. I always laugh at that too and this is kind of a sidebar. But I've seen like security guards that have like the metal wave mm-hmm. thing that like it's supposed to – beep and they're like they're like it's like they're it's like they're counting people going through the door like beep okay go beep yep go beep and i'm like dude do you know what that tool in your hand is for it's so when it goes off you're supposed to investigate and i'm not like i'm gonna get blown up because buddy here doesn't know anyways but you actually do raise, you actually do raise a good point i think that the questions probably are because someone it's going to scare someone off but to your point anyone who spends the time is going to have that. They've got to, they either have purchased the information on the individual, they've found the information. So you do raise a very valid point. Well, that goes back to when I say, like anyone can go into the bank, and if they have an ID that looks similar, I mean, you can buy souvenir IDs. I almost, anyways, you can buy souvenir IDs in Toronto, and they're souvenir IDs. So when you leave Canada, you can say, "Look at my, I got a Canadian ID," and it's, you know, and it's very realistic looking. We'll just say that. And I mean, you they could go buy a souvenir ID and show up at the bank and know things like your address and like just the silliest things. Like the good questions are like, what were your last purchase? Although I'm like, I don't even remember that. But, you know, the bank, I just feel like some of them are the silliest. It's just a deterrent. It's just like someone's going to feel feel that like I'm doing something wrong. But they know they're doing something wrong from the start. So anyways, that's offline. That's not necessarily online. But I think it is something to be aware of. And, and I think that first two, the phishing and the negligent hostile, we did talk about a couple of ways to help prevent negligence and how to protect yourself from hostile employees, especially like you mentioned with the job. Someone's let go. They're very passionate. They may want to sell information to a competitor company. They may, you know, even if this is a guy you grew up with or a girl you grew up with and have worked with forever, you don't know what they're in and what kind of situation is on and what kind of accumulated stress may, have, you know, may push them to do. And then the phishing, the phishing, I guess, is the biggest one. Is there like a browser or something? Like how does somebody – because some people, they just don't know. Like what? All staff need to check all links, all URLs all the time. How do you be more careful? Is there software you can use? What about passwords for employees? Do you have to use something like some sort of password tool for staff? Is that is that a necessity or is it okay to have a spreadsheet with passwords and then just update all the passwords when people leave or – how, how sophisticated or so there there are several questions there now i'll try to I know, no no it's, it's perfectly <laughs> fine I'll, I'll try to i'll try to narrow them down so phishing it really you I, so within within an organization if you are getting emails from within your organization it, it is fairly safe but again i don't want to say it is completely safe because people can even spoof internal email addresses so I think you need to use you need need to use common sense. If something doesn't feel right, then you need to to address it as such. But really, outside of is everything spelled right in the email where it's not where it's blat- you know you have something blatantly wrong because a lot of these emails are coming out of countries where English is not the first language, so things are spelled incredibly wrong. You know, again, the names, the email addresses, are they coming from domains that you know? And, and the links, are are they going to, like if it says it's coming from Bank of America, is it going to the Bank of America link? So you just mm-hmm. need to, you really do need to be vigilant. Now to your other question about passwords, you never want to write down passwords, ever, mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're talking about a business 
and keeping it all in one place, that's a, a huge, huge no-no. You, essentially, you've given access to everything at that point if someone finds it. You probably want to come up with some method of remembering your password. So, for example, take two letters from you know, your favorite musical plus two random numbers, a symbol plus two, two letters from the make of your car. So you want to come up with something that you're going to remember. You're going to want to make it complicated, but at the same time, have some kind of method for you to remember it. Now, I know that we are in a time where everything has passwords and you, you, you basically don't remember password one to password two for different sites anymore. Mm -hmm. There are tools that are available so you can remember, so you don't have to remember your passwords. There are those tools available. The one that is most common to my knowledge is called LastPass, L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S, -S, uh -huh. and it encrypts the password. So they never see the password. You never see the password. It's just in the tool. And it, it's, it's a great way to keep that information safe and you don't have to worry about what your passwords are. I've always had great success with it. Each, each, if, you're, if you're talking from a business perspective, that would be something that the organization would have to look at. Does it meet their risk criteria or not? But that is an option. And if you don't do something like that, then you're exposed. Like if you have a team and everybody needs to know the login info for a tool. So I would hope that if you have a team and you have a tool that each person would have their own login and that they would have their own criteria, there are probably cases where you can have a shared login. And what you do is when someone leaves, that login changes. Just yeah. or, right. or even better yet, that login is, is forced to change every, every week or every two weeks. Right, okay. Right, right, right. Okay, okay, okay. I had a question, but I totally got distracted by that because you were right down, writing down. You're like writing down passwords wrong. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're like that's the that's like the biggest no no you can do. That's a si I was like, oh, okay, note to sell. Let's make a change in um, that behavior. Yeah. Oops. Well, I mean, sometimes so sometimes why my team shares login info is because. And I think, I honestly, for anyone that runs a business that does this, personally, your customers, if they're anything like me, think it's a scam. Why are you charging me 30 to $50 a month for a second login? Like, I, that doesn't, like, is it really taking up a lot of bandwidth to have another seat to log into my tool? I thought I was paying for the tool, not for login info for that tool. Like, that's the part that I'm always like, that's just a money grab. So that's where we do. That's partially why we do shared logins for that, because they want to charge you. You're paying 400 bucks a month for a tool, or even 100 dollars a month for a tool. They want to charge you 10 dollars. There's a lot of companies that are doing that now. They want to charge you per person using it. And I'm like, is it really? Is that really how it works? Like, I mean, if it's if it's if it's storing data, like like something like Team Chats, I get that because every user is adding data. Okay, I kind of get that. Like, I kind of, I still feel that way, but I kind of get that. But again, if it's like a software application that you're doing or a dashboarding tool or, you know, an email tool or something like that, and because you want to have everyone in your team have a login, you got to pay 30 bucks, 50 bucks per person. I just feel like that's, but I'm paying for the tool. Like I'm paying for the tool. 
why it's so anyways that's why that sort of thing comes up so to to, to that point and i i i can't obviously speak to the the companies but in some cases i do agree with you there are organizations that it's just like it doesn't cost you a thing except to press a button yeah so i i do i do feel that and on the other side i i know in some situations it's because of administrative costs. It truly is because of the security where the information is being hosted. So, so yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. It's, I, I do share that frustration as well. Mm, mm, mm. All good, all good, all good, all good. So where do you feel the future of your industry is going? The future of, like, of, of IT technology and security and, and this, especially like as we get into fingerprint stuff and all that, like where... Where's the future going, do you think, in terms of this? Is there anything that we need to be aware of that's on the horizon, good or bad? That is a very interesting question. I think that the future at this point is bleak. And the reason I say that is mm. <laughs> oh, Well, and, and let me and let me explain because after it becomes bleak, I think that there is a revolutionary change coming. I think it's bleak because projections show within the next four to five years, cybercrime is going to have a huge economic impact. So I think Mm. the reason it's bleak is I think that you're going to see events like the WannaCry virus or the WannaCry worm. And I think you're going to see massive events take place in the next four to five years. So I'm thinking... Maybe power is shut down again. So if you recall back in 2004, I think it was 2004, the East Coast of the United States and part of Canada was without power for an extended period of time. I think it was like three or five days. Yeah, the the eastern seaboard. I, I, I remember that. So it came out years later that indeed was a cyber attack. Wow. Yeah. And initially they said it was an overload because it was a hot day. And then it came out, I think, 2007, 2008. Oh, yeah, by the way, that was a cyber attack. So I see things like that happening in in the future. I see big Mm. economic impacts if people, if organizations don't spend the money. And they're... And realistically, they're not going to unless not going to unless yeah. it happens to them. It was an ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure, but man, people are selling cure like hotcakes, and prevention's kind of going broke, unfortunately. Yeah. And so, what I think is this: I think it's going to be bleak because there's going to be some kind of event that causes everyone to wake up and say, "We could have stopped this." And at that point, I think that everyone, I think that there will be a concerted effort to make that change. And so I, I think what we're starting to see things slowly change, two-factor authentication. So you have password plus all, I got a text from, from the service, I have to put that in as well. So that's one thing that's really starting to change. There are different things that are being thrown around about how could we eliminate passwords and what technologies we can put in place for that. But it's going to be slow, and there's going to be some major event that really brings upon the change because we're not going to we're, – mm-hmm. we're creatures of habit. Society in general is comfortable, and they don't, they don't want to change. Mm-hmm. No, change, change is yeah. painful for, for a lot of people. 
And unfortunately, so unfortunately kind of bleak... it's going to take a lot of pain to change. Right. Yeah. But what are what are some of the I mean, you say there's a lot of debates over what to do to replace passwords that what are the things that you're most hopeful about? What do you think? What's your prediction that we're going to go to? For whether it's for passwords, right? Like, is AI going to be our, our savior to provide higher level encryption of things to outsmart things and and cross-reference them and in a fraction of a second because it's a quantum computer, you know, go and do all the background research and search through facial recognition video to make sure that this person's really the person they say they are. Is it something like that or is it simpler? Is it it's just going to be retina and finger scans and a chip in your skin and you know or something like that? Like, what do you see as the future? I believe that biometrics is probably that next step. So the fingerprinting, mm. the iris scanning, the to some degree, you know, the the chipping, you're starting to see some of that. Now the chipping isn't something that I would want to do per se, but again, I want to protect my privacy, and that goes down a whole different path in my mind. But I think the fingerprinting, the iris scanning are really the next steps. The the technology's been a, around for ages. But you're starting mm-hmm. to see it, like the Samsung phone, the the S8, the, the most recent Samsung, the Galaxy S8. Apple has the single printing as well. So it's in the infancy, but I really think that that is probably one of the more secure ways of doing it. But again, you're looking at, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, okay, I've got my phone or I can unlock my laptop, that's great. How does that translate to the internet? And that is not something I have the answer to because I, I genuinely, I've heard a lot of different things, but I'm nothing that has really been like, oh, okay, I could see where that would happen. Mm-hmm. So devices, right. I could see where it would be something along the biometric line. Internet passwords, honestly, truly, I cannot give you an answer to that. I think. Sure, sure, sure. No, I think fine. the. I think two-factor authentication is probably the one that needs to really happen next from just a ubiquitous adoption perspective. So now what about things – it's funny because I just had this come to mind, and this is actually – this literally just spurred to mind. So this is actually personal. This is something that's happened in my business. Our server got hacked – and this is an issue that we went through. So we actually have three domains that we work with, and one we almost abandoned because it got hacked, and we found out that a spammer had basically hacked our server or something and was sending – we were using HostGator, and we got off of them. I'm sure they're a great service, you know, nothing negative to say, but after this, I was like, let's try something new. So someone had got into our domain, and they'd gotten into it like an email account and they were sending because my staff was trying to send emails and they were getting error messages that they're like hey you need to slow down like you've reached the max volume of emails you can send in whatever time frame and they're like i'm like who's sending all this email and we contacted hostgator or the company and they told us that yeah like you guys are maxing out and i'm like well no one on my team is sending that like we don't use that like they're like do you use any in like email autoresponders i'm like yeah we do but it doesn't go through like it doesn't has nothing to do with our website. Like they, you know what I mean. Like I pay that company. That company worries about the email sending, right? Not like it's not sent through us. They're two separate things. We've never connected the two. And then they found out, oh yeah, our account had been hacked, and someone had been emailing and broadcasting from that, and they apparently fixed it. But that domain 
there's still some trail email addresses, company email addresses under that domain, and there's now they're spam. They can't, you know, there's there's relationships that have been built and communication that's happened, and leads that are getting back to us from that. But that's and this is something that's kind of past and still ongoing. I've I have a couple staff that still use that, and it's like, well, how do you fix that? How do you fix that after you just abandon it, get a new domain, put everyone up on new email accounts, and go from there? What happens if it happens again? No. Or how do you protect protect yourself? That, that is a very interesting situation, and it happens probably more often than than you would realize. You have really two approaches there. One, like you said, you can change the domain, but you know that obviously impacts your brand. Hmm. The other thing is, like you had said, you switch to a different hosting provider. That should have taken that domain off of spam lists because it's usually usually tied to IP addresses. After our after mm. after our our interview, we could have a discussion. I could see if I could look into that and maybe give you some more ideas on how to clear that up. Sure, sure, sure. But no, I was just it was because it comes because the other part that's the one thing we actually haven't talked about. We talked a lot on this interview about prevention. But what about recouping from it? What about coming back? Someone's listening to this and they they copped on the interview because they're like, man, you know, my company, we got, you know, our, our, and that's why I was like, all right, my email addresses were commandeered and used for spam purposes. How do you come back from that? And I was trying to think of some other alternatives too of that. Like, how do you come back from an attack? That is another absolutely fantastic question because most companies do not have a plan in place to do some kind of recovery. And, and that it, there are several different things. One, depending on, on the size of your company and, and what your, your market is. But one, you need, to get, you need to get it out there, be it press release, media, whatever, saying, hey, this is what happened. No data was, no data was uh, exposed. And here's what we're doing to remediate. So that is number one is you need to disavow yourself from what happened because you need to protect your brand. Two, on the technical side, there are things that can be done. So, for example, in this case, switching it usually will help clear it up because it's tied. Usually spam lists are tied to IP addresses. The companies or the organizations, I should say companies, that track spamming, if you approach them and you give them the evidence, they some will clear that up for you. So there are different ways to do it. The, the whole triage process, once you have been hacked and have been impacted, is it, it's not exactly a, a straightforward thing, but there is a formula that you need to put in place to protect your brand. It, it's really what it comes down to. At that point, it's about brand management, and it's about making sure that you protect the brand and acknowledge what has happened and say what steps are taking you're taking to address it. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, okay. So it kind of sounds like a three-phase thing. One, disavow what happened, acknowledge and disavow it to protect your – well, I guess that's kind of two because you say brand management. So that was you know, communicate with the members – or whoever to disavow whatever happened. For us, we don't know who was being emailed. It wasn't our email people, but they were just using our, our domain. But again, a company's been attacked. They have to make a public announcement to the people affected in whatever way, shape, or form to say, hey, this is what happened. This is why it wasn't us. This is why it was something that was a third party, you know, a malicious third party 
then you need to, like, again, acknowledge it and then, I guess, start getting the technical pieces in place to make sure it doesn't happen again. That's kind of it. It's like there was a train accident. Hey, we're really sorry. It happened because a cow stepped onto the railway at the last second. We have this, this, and this in place, and it failed because the cow just ran out of nowhere. We think, you know, someone was hunting. We don't really know. Cow ran out, got hit by the train, train derailed, big accident. We're really sorry. This is what we're going to do. And then you send the cleaning crew to clean it up and fix the repairs, and then you probably do something at the tail end of that to try to minimize the the, the slowdown in business. Yes. I remember there was a guy that got stabbed in the neck in my hometown in a nightclub in my town and died. And nobody that, – that bar was – they changed the name of that bar the next school year. It it's a university town, the town I grew up in. And they changed the name of the bar that, over, the, over the summer because nobody was going. There was like a year where that bar was just a ghost. Nobody wanted – who wanted to go? Nobody wanted to go there. That's the place the guy got stabbed in the neck and bled to death on the dance floor and nobody wants to go to that bar. So they changed the name. And so that's kind of like almost what it sounds yep. like. You, that's what almost something like that happens in your business. Make an announcement to it. You know, try sending the cleanup crew and then have some sort of incentive to people, which might cost you on the front end. But as far as, you know, represent protecting the brand and, and retaining the relationship with people and showing that you care and, you know, and that you're as concerned, that kind of makes up for it. That's, that's exactly what it is. There, like you said, there's a formula, but it's not exactly straightforward because every situation is different. But different, yeah, it, right, right. Like you said, it, it, it's exactly that. It's you, you, you admit, and then you clean it up. Yeah, you admit, you clean it up, and then you give some sort of incentive to keep the your regulars happy and let them know you appreciate them. And something really, really juicy to try to not have what happened be used by your competitors against you. And unfortunately, you know, there's good luck and bad luck. And unfortunately, you, you got hit by a spell of bad luck. And the good news is, is the wind that blows on one of us blows on all of us. So bad luck will come around to other people as well. So got it. That's really helpful. Van, that's really helpful. That's a really good insight. You've been really forthcoming and honest, and I'm sure hopefully there's people taking notes in this call and people taking motivation act because people never appreciate the time that they turn left, not right, and don't get hit by a car. And so, you know, my, my only concern is, like I said before, that the only people that really value this call are the people that have gone through something. And this is, excuse me, and this is the point of this call is to make you aware of it beforehand that way you can do something before it's an issue. And then when you never have any sort of problems and you hear of a friend doing that, you can maybe think of Van and myself and thank us. So, Van, if people have been listening to this and they do want to get in touch, they want to find out some more information or they have an existing problem or they want to get there because you guys do testing, right? You test companies to test the, how vulnerable they are and give suggestions like on, on how to improve it. How do they get in touch with you? Invite them to call me or email me directly. My email address is van.santos at indara.com, van.santos at I-N-D-A-R-R-A. It's actually not .com, it's .co, I apologize. So give it a, give it one more time, give it one more so, time. Van.santos at indara, I-N-D-A-R-R-A dot C-O. Perfect, perfect. Or perfect, perfect, call perfect. me directly. Four six nine four zero seven five three nine two, and that's air. That's area code one for anyone that's outside of Canada or the U.S. So Van, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time on this call. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, actually, I think we hit on all the major things. 
Yeah, I think we did too. I think this is a great call. Again, for the people listening, you if again, if you have a business that has employees and you use any sort of information technology and you do not have anyone on staff or you have not considered that, you may want to listen to this a couple times, even send it to some of your staff and have them listen to it just so your company is aware and make a plan. You know, Don't interrupt your day-to-day business, of course, if everything's fine now, but I would definitely add it onto your quarterly goal sheet or make it a goal for next quarter to change that because, again, it's not a problem until it's a problem, and then you got a problem. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So please, if you want, get in touch with Van or myself or whoever you know in your local community or area to help it. But definitely don't neglect it because you may regret it later. And small hinges swing big doors. You're working so hard to build your business and to make everything work. Make sure that you're buttoned up. And it sounds like there's some simple steps that you can take, both when onboarding staff and offboarding staff, both just in day-to-day life. And just a couple of simple tests that Van can run your business through to make sure that you're fine, you're safe, you don't really have a lot to worry about, and then you can go back to growing your business. So, Van, thank you so much. I appreciate you, my friend. And, yeah, I always enjoy our conversations, and I appreciate you taking the time to help my listeners. Oh, sure, no problem. It was a great conversation, and I, I appreciate it, too, and I always enjoy them, too. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.